This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. So the reading again is from Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you again. Been gone for a couple of Sundays. Uh, the first Sunday away was at a uh, Covenant Pastors Retreat. And that was good to, to get with some uh, pastors in our denomination. And that was just a good time of prayer and encouragement and some rest. And then last week I was at First Covenant. Uh, as some of you know, Pastor Max uh, had surgery and he's recovering well and his prognosis is great. Uh, but got a call and was asked if I could come and and preach there last Sunday, and so I did. Uh, but I'm back, and I'm so grateful for Tyler and for Chris uh, for your good words uh, as we're leading our church now in a series on uh, our core values. Uh, we began in the fall talking about uh, our mission, and our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness uh, to our community and, and to our world. But our values inform how we go about bringing Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. And so we're in a series right now talking about our values, uh, how we're going to go about doing that. And this morning, uh, we're talking about intentional evangelism. And of course, we read this morning from uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. And uh, as I'm reading that, I remember a story I shared with you probably a year or so ago uh, about um, a conversation that a colleague of mine back when I was a youth pastor had with uh, one of the young people in his group. Uh, Every year they'd have a great celebration for the seniors who were graduating and moving on to college. And they'd have a party and they'd pray over them and bless them. And after this event, there was a, a, a senior, a, a young woman, who came up to this pastor and said, Pastor, I want to thank you um, for four years I've been in your group, and for all four years you've encouraged us uh, to live godly lives. You've shared with us uh, the words of Christ, especially as it relates to us being a part of the great mission of sharing the gospel into the world. I want to thank you for that. And he was feeling pretty good at that point. And then came the word, but. You know what but means, right? But means disregard everything I said up till now. And she said, but pastor, I have, to, I have to share something with you. Although you've challenged us and you've encouraged us, you've never shown us how. Now, can you imagine how he felt? 
I remember when he was sharing that story with all of us, his fellow youth pastors from the community. And uh, you could just see that his spirit, he just sank. I mean, he just was devastated because he realized he'd been so good at encouraging them to live their lives for Christ. But what she was sharing is in four years, he had never really shown them how to do it. Well, as we come to our passage today in, in Matthew, really, uh, this commissioning of the disciples is the culmination of several years in which Jesus showed His disciples. He modeled for them what it meant uh, to live the good news and to share the good news with others. And so Jesus, uh, the perfect teacher, did an outstanding job of preparing His students for the mission that He called them to. But can you imagine living in a first century Palestine, right? And you uh, were a fisherman or maybe you would have been involved in a trade of some kind, uh, a tax collector, variety of different people, assortment of people with different life experiences and gifts that Jesus called to teach them, to raise them up, ultimately for uh, the mission of the Gospel. But can you imagine uh, these men hearing these words that were just read in Scripture today? I mean, think about this. Here they are, uh, men that by all account were, were pretty simple. Uh, most of them formally uneducated. Uh, nothing special about them per se. And Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, now think about that. These are people who didn't travel much farther from where they were born. And now Jesus is saying, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. It'd be like someone today telling you that, that you are going to go to Mars and share the Gospel there. Okay? You'd go, what? I mean, it'd be hard for you to really wrap your head around that, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that, I mean that's what this was like for them. And you know what? As you hear this, and as you think about it, I know that that's what it's like for, for some of you too. I mean, forget going to all nations. How about going across the street? Or going to the cubicle next to yours at work? Or going to the, the person that sits next to you in school? Or to a family member? I mean, the thought of, hey, going and sharing the good news of the Gospel with somebody, for many of us, is pretty daunting, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. Well, here's the good news. This morning, I want to clear some things up for us. And then I'm actually going to give you some tools to do the very thing that God is calling you to do as followers of Christ. Does that sound good? I want everyone here today to leave here with a sense of, hey, not only do I know what God has called me to, but I'm feeling equipped. Because Pastor Todd is, is showing us or is giving us some tools to do the very thing that God would want us to do as followers of Christ. So here is the good news for you this morning. 
most of you, in fact, the majority of you, are not evangelists. Do you know that? I didn't have to tell you that. You already know that, don't you? And you go, But here's the tension. You know, we hear the Great Commission, and we read in the Gospels, and then we read in the, the Epistles in the New Testament, the story of how the church moved out from Jerusalem literally to the nations. And as we hear that, and as we read that, we, we feel this sense of conviction that somehow we're to be a part of it, and yet we don't fully identify with the Apostle Paul. He's an evangelist. Or Timothy, right? Um, a pastor, but also an evangelist. Evangelist... Uh, are those that God has given the church. If you look in the New Testament and you, you read through the gifts of different offices and ministries, there's a gift of an evangelist. An evangelist is one who has been specifically gifted for a bold proclamation of the Gospel message. Okay? That's an evangelist. And you say, well, that's not me. And that's okay. Because... Most of us are not called to be evangelists. When we think about sharing our faith, who do we think about? We think about Billy Graham, don't we? Uh, or others that we're familiar with in our Christian culture that make a bold proclamation of the Gospel. And then people respond. Okay. Now, we're not all evangelists. In fact, very few of us have been called to that office and have that gifting. Now, if you do, you need to operate and you need to live into that fully because that's what God's called you to. But what does that mean for the rest of us? It means although we're not evangelists, we are called to live an evangelistic lifestyle. Ah, there it is! So none of us are off the hook. You may not be called like Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul or his young understudy in the Epistles Timothy to make a bold public proclamation of the Gospel. That might not be what you're called to, but every single one of us as followers of Christ Jesus are called to live an evangelistic lifestyle. Now, 1 Peter Chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. You're familiar with this. It says that all of us should be ready to give an account or to answer those who have questions about the hope that lies within us. Okay? So the verse presumes that we're going to live our lives in such a way that people are going to see our lives and have questions about our lives. They're going to have questions as to why we live differently than most other people. And those who have been called by God through His grace into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ are called to live differently. We can't help but do that. He fills us with His Holy Spirit. He gives us new life. He transforms us. And although we are not perfect, okay, 
We are different. Now that I have to tell you that, you know we're all different, don't you? But we're different in the best sense of the way. And that our life more and more and more begins to reflect the reality of Christ. That we become Christ-like by the power of His Holy Spirit. That old ways of living pass away and we become new internally from the inside out. And people see that. They, they see how we respond to one another. They see how we respond to circumstances in life. They see how we live our lives. They see the fruit in our lives. And they have questions. That's what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And that we need to be ready to answer those questions. To give an account. To talk about the hope that lies within us. And so while we may not have the gift of evangelism in the sense we're called to be evangelists, every single one of us is called to answer questions about Christ in our life. That is being evangelistic. Do you see that? Do you see the difference? And it presumes that we're living in such a way that people have questions. Are you ready for this? What we're really called to is to live questionable lives. How about that? That as we live questionable lives, people have questions about how we live. And that gives us an opportunity to share. Now let me give you a historic example. Back about um, 360 or so A.D. after the birth of Christ, there was an emperor named Julian. He was known as Julian the Apostate. Okay, And the reason why is, as the influence of Christianity had spread through the Roman Empire, Julian, who becomes emperor for a very brief time, continued to worship uh, the pagan gods of the Roman Empire. And he saw Christianity as, as a challenge to, to the pagan worship of gods. In fact, because Christians didn't worship the Roman gods, you know what he called them? Atheists. Right? You know, we're not called to worship the gods of our culture either, are we? In that sense, wouldn't it be wonderful? Because we choose not to worship the gods of our culture, that people in our culture would see us and say, well, they're atheists because they don't worship our gods. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? But that's what he called them. And he didn't call them Christians, he called them Galileans. Because he saw them as a cult, a sect of people who were followers of this man Jesus from Galilee. So Julian called them Galileans. Now, now here was the issue at hand. These Christians were living questionable lives. Listen to what they did. They not only took care of each other, but they took care of other people. They fed the poor. When they were having these love feasts, in which they would gather together and eat and then worship this man named Jesus, as Julian said, Elevate him to a position of God. Can you imagine? They were doing a good job, weren't they? They would invite people 
off the streets. They would invite the poor to come in and break bread and, and eat with them. And then they would continue in food distribution to those who were marginalized or the underprivileged in the empire. These Christians. These Galileans. But not only that. They had a ministry of healing. They were giving hope to the poor, to the marginalized, to the down and out. But they were, they were ministering medical care. For those in the community that were sick, those that had diseases that no one wanted to get near, they were unclean, they were untouchables. Christians, these Galileans, they'd minister to them, often at their own risk. They'd be infected themselves and die, but it didn't matter because they were following Jesus. And so they had a minister of healing. And then... I mean, this is the absurdity of it all, according to Julian. When those that they care for died, they actually took them and buried these people that were strangers, not members of their family. I mean, they were living questionable lives. So much so that Julian said, this is a threat to the empire. This is what we're going to do. And he issued an edict to all the governing authorities throughout the empire. He said, you need to love the way the Galileans love. You need to care for the sick. You need to feed and care for the poor. You need to do such acts that the Galileans' lives are no longer questionable because we're doing the same thing. And that was his solution for what he saw Christians doing in the empire. But what do you think happened? He issued the edict, but the governors and the people that they were in charge of couldn't do it. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit wasn't in them. They couldn't do genuine acts of Christian love and compassion and mercy and justice. Because the Spirit of the living God didn't live in them. And so they failed miserably. And Julian's attempt to wipe out Christianity in the empire failed. Because he was calling people to do something they could not do without the power of the living God in them. Do you see that? So those Christians, back in 360 A.D., what were they doing? They were living questionable lives. And their lives were so questionable that people asked, well, what is it? What is it? How can you do these things? Well, what does Peter say? That we should be ready to give a response, an answer to those who ask for the hope that lies within us. And so all of us are called to live questionable lives. All of us are called to live evangelistic lives. That is, 
to live in such a way that we distinguish ourselves from everyone else and that when people ask us why, then we can tell them. That's different than the bold proclamation, public proclamation of the evangelist. You and I are called to answer questions. Called to answer questions. Now how are we going to do this? Is there a way that we can do this? And this is what I want to share with you today. What I'm sharing with you comes from this book, Surprise the World, by a man named Michael Frost. He's a missiologist, okay? Uh, his expertise is the study of mission. Now, where does the word mission come from? Do you know? It's Latin from the word missio. And the word missio literally means in Latin to be sent, to be ejected, to be pushed out. Okay? And as Jesus was calling His disciples to mission, what was He doing? He was sending them. He was pushing them out in an impulse to share the Gospel in the world. You see that to all nations. Not only to share the Gospel, but then to raise people up in what it means to live for Christ. To make disciples. To make followers of Christ. And Frost in his book tries to give you and me, those who are called to live questionable lives and give an answer for the hope, an explanation of why we're different and why we do the things we do. Frost says, listen, here are five habits or five ways that you and I can live missionally. The first one is for us to recognize that we're sent. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends us. He also sends the Holy Spirit to fill us that we might accomplish what He has for us to do in the world. So, like Jesus, we need to see ourselves as sent ones. I'll get into that in a moment. But what Frost does, he gives us five things. Are you ready? Five practical ways. You can leave here today. You can apply these things in your life. And you can live missionally. You can live questionable lives. Are you ready? Did your pens out? You're writing it down? It's good stuff. By the way, I'd recommend this book to all of you. Surprise the world. Here we go. Number one. Number one. The first habit of highly missional people is to bless people both inside and outside of the church. To bless people both inside and outside the church. What Frost says is this. That if each of us weekly should make it a point to bless three people. One, a believer. Someone who's already a follower of Christ. Could be someone in the church. Could be someone you know. The other, a non-believer or someone who doesn't know Christ yet. Don't you like that? I like that. Rather than saying... um Oh, this is a person who's not saved or a non-believer. I like to think of them as a person who doesn't know Christ yet. 
Because my hope is they will. And that I get to be a part of that process. And so what he says is bless three people each week. One, a believer. One, a person who doesn't know Christ yet. And the third one is up to you. Could be a believer or a person who doesn't know Christ yet. But bless three people this week. And here's how you do it. One, are through words of affirmation. Just say something nice to somebody. Affirm them. Build them up. Uh, again, the, the word bless in the secular sense meant literally to, to help strengthen or raise up somebody's arm or hand. It was to empower them, to help them, to strengthen them. And so, the church has adopted that word. And of course, we have a, a spiritual meaning for that as well. But, but really, in its origin, that we're to bless others. We're to help strengthen them. We're to encourage them. We're to, to raise them up. Bless them in that sense. Through words of affirmation. Words of encouragement. The second thing is, how about acts of kindness? Just doing something for somebody. Being kind. Going to your neighbor. Shoveling snow. Helping somebody with their groceries to the car. Whatever it might be. An act of kindness. And the third thing is a gift. A gift. You may want to bless someone by giving them a gift of some kind. Something that they need or something that, that says you care about them. Bless people, both inside and outside the church. At least three people this week. Through words of affirmation, through acts of kindness, or through the giving of a gift. And really, that principle is that of generosity. That's another core value we have here. We want to be generous people. We want to live sacrificial and generous lives. Look at Philippians 2, verses 3-4. through Paul writes this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When we bless people, what are we doing? We're looking out for them. We're looking towards their interests through words of affirmation, through acts of kindness, through the giving of a gift. So that's number one. Bless people, both inside and outside the church. Number two, are you ready? You're really good at this already. Eat together. Yay! Alright? Tonight we have the chili cook-off. We have the opportunity to eat together. Isn't that a good thing? Eat together, sharing meals with believers and those who don't know Christ yet. Isn't that wonderful? Now if we do this, Frost says, we can literally change the world by eating. That's good news. Alright? From the very beginning, the first followers of Christ would gather together. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians they would gather together and they would eat. And in the midst of eating together, they would, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would recognize Christ. Right? 
But eating together is something that Christians have been doing from the very beginning. Now what Frost says is just like we're going to bless three people, one inside the church, one outside, one person that doesn't know Christ yet, and the person of your choice, so three people, eat with three people this week. One, a believer, a follower of Jesus. One, someone who's not a follower of Jesus yet. And the other, the third, it's your choice. Could be a cup of coffee at Jitters. Could be lunch in the break room at work. Could be actually asking someone out for a meal and asking a neighbor to your home. Just eat with three people this week. Okay? Look at Luke 7, verse 34. Jesus talking about the work, His work in the world, says, the Son of Man, Jesus, a term He used uh, for Himself, comes from Daniel chapter 7. Really is a messianic terminology. Jesus was both the Son of Man, right? And the Son of God. He fulfilled both. But here He uses this term for Himself. He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Well, He came to seek and save the lost. And here He says He came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you know what Jesus was doing? He was practicing this second point. He was being intentional. And how did He do it? He, he ate together with other people, but He shared meals with both people in the church, His disciples if you will, and those on the outside. The sinners. The tax collectors. And in fact, He did it so often that His detractors, the religious leaders, what do they accuse Him of? Being a, a drunkard and a glutton. Because He recognized the value of including people at the table. And in ancient Judaism, you would never ever invite someone who was not a Jew to your table. Okay? But Jesus did. And so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to bless both people inside and outside the church through words of affirmation, acts of kindness, and the giving of gifts. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to eat together, sharing meals. You can start that tonight with believers and those who don't know Christ yet. Three each week. One of each and one of your choice. And then the third thing. The first thing is to bless. The second thing is to eat. Here's the third thing. To listen to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit as we engage those around us. To listen to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. Because if we're going to be serious about living questionable lives, if we're going to engage the people around us, both those who are followers of Christ and those who don't know Christ yet, we need the wisdom of God, don't we? We need to be ready to give an account, to share. And if we're going to do that, we need a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. And what Frost says is this, one time a week, just start once a week, by getting yourself off into a quiet place and listening for the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
And you can say, I don't know how to do that. There's so much noise in my life, Pastor Todd. I wouldn't know where to begin. I'm glad you said that. Let me share with you a way to start. One time a week, get yourself off into a quiet place. It could be driving in the car. The Holy Spirit will speak to you while you're driving. In fact, I hope He does. All right? And you can begin by doing something called centering prayer. Now, let me tell you what that is. It's taking a portion of Scripture, a passage, and just focusing on that. Like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Or, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Or, whatever verse or passage. And you focus on that. And let your mind dwell on that. And be still and listen for the Holy Spirit. Okay? Frost says, bless three people each week. Eat together with three people each week. And the third thing, listen to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit as we engage those around us. That we need to be Spirit-led people. John 14.26 Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Isn't that important? If we're going to give an account for the hope that lies within us. And to know that just as Jesus promised His disciples, the same Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you and me will give us the words. Will give us the wisdom that we need when people ask about our questionable lives. Or how about this? Luke 12, 11-12. Jesus again talking to His disciples. When you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. Isn't that good news? But we have to be quiet and listen. And the promise is the Spirit will lead us. Number one, we bless people both inside and outside the church through words of affirmation, acts of kindness, and the giving of gifts. Number two, we eat together, sharing meals with believers and don't know, uh, people who don't know Christ yet. That's being hospitable. The third is that we're to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're to be Spirit-led. The fourth is this. That we are to learn Christ as our leader and model for disciple-making. Ephesians 5, verses 1-2. through Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, which is a pleasing aroma or sacrifice to God. Here's the point that Frost makes. We need to spend time with Jesus. And how do we do that? By being intentional about spending time in the Gospels. Each week, in your Bible reading or in your devotion time, make it a point to spend time in the Gospels with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Live with Jesus. Watch and learn from Jesus in the Gospels. And as we do that, and as we're listening for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works in our life, and we become more and more like the one that we are spending time with, just like the disciples did. We do the same thing as we spend time with Him intentionally. 
Read books about Jesus and about his ministry. N.T. Wright has a series of books that are wonderful. I would commend them to you. If you start now, you might be able to finish them by the time your life is done on earth. Pretty meaty stuff, but it's great stuff. That's just an example. F.F. Bruce has a book called Jesus, um, uh, Lord and Savior. Wonderful. Not quite as, as thick as N.T., but good stuff. So read the Gospels. Walk with Jesus. And read about Him. N.T. Wright says this, In the end, it's not about all, uh, it's not all about how we behave. It's about discovering the living God and the love and dying of Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves into a world that badly needs it. All right. Number one, bless. Number two, eat. Number three, learn. Number uh, number three, listen. Number four, learn. And here's number five. Are you ready? This is it. See yourself as sent by God everywhere that life takes you. Huh? That was my wife. See yourself as sent by God everywhere that life takes you. Be intentional. Live missional lives. Lives of those who understand that they've been sent out. They have been pushed out. They have been ejected. You know what? Some of us need to be ejected from the church. We need to be pushed out of here. Now come back. (laughs) But you get the point, don't you? We need to be incarnational God became flesh and dwelt among us. We in our flesh need to go where people are and dwell among them. Share life with them. Live with them in an objectionable way. In a questionable way, okay? That people would want to know what we're about. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We may all not be evangelists, but all of us are called to live evangelistic lives. As the Father has sent Jesus, so He sends us. And that we are to alert others to the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ, His Son. Okay? So here it is. Let me show you on the screen. The last slide. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and see. What is that? It says bells. Okay? Remember that. Bells. And as we do that, each of us will take seriously the call to intentional evangelism. The worship team, come forward. Let's continue.